Kids, do you remember Vacation Bible School? Yes, good. (laughs) Vacation Bible School was so much fun last summer. It's coming up again this summer. Last summer, do you remember a guy named Buccaneer Bob? Yeah, yeah. I think Buccaneer Bob was nominated for an Oscar after his performance during the week of Vacation Bible School. And uh, can't you hear Buccaneer Bob saying something like this? I seen it with my own two eyes. That really is a huge deal. Whether you're a pirate, whether you're just a normal person, seeing what happened... Experiencing something is powerful and important. Picture this. You're talking with your friends, and one of your friends begins to tell this story that's really funny or really unbelievable or really amazing, and then that one naysayer friend steps in and says, there's no way that happened. And then you pipe up, and you say, no, I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. In a world where... You can't always believe what you see on TV or the internet uh, when Photoshop and video editing are real. I hate to break it to you, but just because you see something on the internet doesn't mean it's real. Uh, There is something special about eyewitness, face-to-face testimony of people that can tell you what they saw, when they saw it, how things went down. There's still something very powerful and validating and affirming in the words and the testimony of someone who was actually there. And in the book of Exodus, there is this, it's described here, what's described here is something that the people of Israel experienced. It's something that they saw. They lived the salvation of the Lord their God firsthand with their own eyes. And, and this is one of the themes that we see over and over, especially in chapter 14, but throughout the book of Exodus. It's that the people saw. God's people saw. Stand firm, fear not, and see the salvation of your God. God told them that they'll never see the Egyptians Again, in the summary refrain of this whole chapter, verse 31, it says that Israel saw the great power that God used against the Egyptians, for the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They saw God deliver them. They saw their enemies destroyed. Seeing strengthened their faith. Seeing helped them go on. It helped carry them through. We need to see God's work now. We need to see it because it's easy for us to forget it. It's easy for us to doubt and to wonder if it's real or true. Seeing God's work and God's power is something that strengthens our faith. Seeing God's salvation challenges us, changes us, transforms us. We need to see this. We need to be reminded that God is working, that God is powerful, that God saves. Especially we need to be reminded that God delivers, He cares about us, He loves us, and He protects us. Even us, broken sinners, people who make mistakes, whose faith is often weak, we need to see over 
and over and over again. Our hope, our deliverance, our salvation in this life is not based on how awesome we are or how well we've done. It's based on God and His infinite mercy and grace and love for us. So I want us to see that this morning from Exodus chapter 14. Seeing God's great power and trusting in Him means several things. One of the first things it means is it means moving forward in faith. Seeing God's great power and trusting in Him means moving forward in faith. You ever been in a place in your life where you just feel stuck? Maybe you're afraid, so afraid that you don't know what to do. Maybe you're burned out by life or circumstances in your life and you simply feel paralyzed. You want to hunker down and not move and pull the covers over your head and not get out of bed. Well, from watching war movies, I've learned some things. I've learned that in battle, staying in one place is not usually a good idea. From uh, the Band of Brothers uh, series, I've learned that staying in one place means that the enemy can zero in on you. Men, we must keep moving, keep pushing forward. And in some way, that's true in the Christian life. God told His people to stand firm, to fear not, to be still and watch the salvation of their God. And it's from that posture, that attitude, that place where we surrender our lives to God and sincerely trust in Him, it's from that place that we read verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. It's one of the only places I can think of in the Bible where God essentially says, stop praying and move forward. Remember the setting, their backs are against the wall, the Egyptians are on their tail. Seeing God's power and trusting Him meant moving forward in faith. And what were they moving forward to? The sea. To this uncrossable sea that was right before them. But God said to move forward. And like so many other places in the Bible, he tells them, this is what he's going to do. He's going to deliver them. He's going to take care of them. And now he says, move forward in faith, even though the only thing they see is this huge body of water with, with nowhere to go and no way to cross. Sometimes moving forward in faith looks like that. Following God's lead can mean simply getting out of bed in the morning, day by day, putting one foot in front of the other, even though something is hard and scary and it is not the way you want it to be. Part of trusting God is moving forward in faith. You've probably heard this phrase before, we're saved by faith alone, but not faith that is alone. Being loved and accepted and forgiven and saved by God is something that changes us, it transforms us, and it pushes us to move forward in faith. And I think there are several applications uh, to this passage in our lives. I think it applies specifically to two different personality types, folks that have two different propensities. 
Some people want to move forward and get to work and take action. These are the doers, the go-getters, the jump-right-in kind of people. Those are gifts and strengths. And I think this passage helps folks like that remember that moving forward needs to be in faith. Especially for folks like that, it needs to be out of a quiet heart, trusting and listening to others and being willing to pump the brakes at times. I think this passage also applies to folks who take a slower approach. Think things through. They don't rush to action. These are the thinkers and the planners and the plotters. These are gifts and strengths. And I think this passage helps remind folks like this that living by faith means moving forward. Even if you don't have all the details, even if the plan isn't worked out specifically, even if you're uncomfortable and scared. What are the areas in your life where you need to see and be reminded of God's great power and trust Him by moving forward in faith? Are there things that you're simply afraid to address in your life because you know bringing them out into the open will be so messy and so scary that you just don't want to do it? Maybe there are scars and wounds from your past that you've never dealt with. Maybe there are scars and wounds that you're dealing with right now. And there are things that are happening in your life that make you just want to sit down and peace out and give up. Maybe there are situations where you need to quiet your heart and press pause and work on trusting God and waiting for him, you see how many applications could come from this passage. After God says, watch and see the salvation of our God, the next thing he says to God's people is, move forward. Seeing God's great power and trusting him means we move forward in faith. Another thing we see from this passage is seeing God's great power and trusting in Him means participating in His work. We've seen it here in Exodus 14. We see it sprinkled throughout the Bible. It's something that we need to remember that God uses folks like us in His kingdom, in His work. Most people in this room believe that God is working in this world, that things are happening, that lives are being changed. It's harder for us to believe, isn't it, that God's using me or that God's using you to do those things. Think about it. God did not need Moses to hold his staff over the Red Sea. God did not need Moses to hold his staff back over the Red Sea when the waters came crashing onto Pharaoh and his armies. God did not need Moses to challenge the people and tell them his promises or lead them through the sea on dry land. God could have done all those things on his own. But God chose to use Moses for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons, I believe, is to show and remind us That seeing God's power and trusting Him means that we participate in His 
work. He uses regular folks. Just like Moses. To accomplish his perfect will. God uses people who struggle to believe him at times. God uses people who have complicated families. God uses people who have made huge mistakes. He uses folks like Moses and he uses folks like us to accomplish his perfect, powerful will. There are a couple examples. One is prayer. Think about it. We pray, we pour out our hearts for our friends, for our family, for our, for our city, for this world. We pray to God. Why? Because we don't think He knows. Because if we don't tell God, there's no way He's going to understand what's happening. No. We pray because God's called us to pray. And He not only answers our prayers, but uses our prayers in His perfect and powerful will. And he allows us to participate with him in his plan and his purpose. Think about the call to tell other people about Jesus Christ, to share the gospel message with folks. We read in the Bible that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. He is the one that changes people's lives, right? He's the one that opens our hearts to see and understand His love and grace. But what does He do? He uses people like us, stumbling through our words, to tell other people about how much Jesus Christ means to us. We're called to participate in His work, trusting and leaning on Him when we're disappointed and when things aren't going well and when we're overjoyed and ecstatic. Have you ever stopped to think, how great God's love is. And His heart is so big that He has lovingly, gladly invited us to participate in His work in this world. It's absolutely incredible. And we see it here in Exodus chapter 14. He uses a man like Moses. God does it, and we get to participate. Another thing we see from this passage is Seeing God's great power and trusting Him means knowing that God's got our back. Have you ever been scared, intimidated, afraid, and then someone steps in or steps up for you? Maybe it's your big brother, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a complete stranger, and they step between you and that bully and the message is clear. If you want to get to her, you have to come through me. How powerful and glorious to think that God himself has our back. That's one of the things that we see from this passage. God's got our back. As the people of God move forward, he's got their back even as their backs are against the wall. And we see it displayed in this text in two ways. First of all, it says in verse 19 that the angel of God, who was going before Israel, he was leading them. He went from the front to the back. He went between them and their enemies. And this could be 
the, the leader of God's armies. We don't know exactly who this is, but we know the angel of God is the representative of God, and he goes to stand between God's people and their enemies. And then we see the pillar of cloud. That pillar of cloud moved also in between God's people and their enemies. And that pillar of cloud represented God's presence, God's power. And it's really interesting as we read what happened. That pillar of cloud cast a darkness upon God's enemies. A darkness that was like the plague that they experienced in Egypt. They couldn't do anything, they couldn't go anywhere, but in the same, at the same time, that cloud shined the light on God's people so that they could see. It says that at the end of verse 20, and it lit up the night without the one coming near the other all night long. God had his people's back. God has our back. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? That God stands for you. That he cares for you. In life, God having our back does not mean that everything will work out. It doesn't mean that we won't ever face pain or difficulty or struggle or heartache. But it does mean that we can trust him through every stage and through every situation. We need to see God's great power and trust him and be reminded that God's got our backs. We hear the Apostle Paul and these words that he, he spoke inspired by God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? If God did not spare his one and only son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What are the areas in your life where you need to remember and know that God has your back? What are the situations and areas in your life where you're tempted to think that God doesn't care? God doesn't know. He might know, but he doesn't have the power to work. Seeing God's great power and trusting in him means knowing and remembering that he's got our back. What else do we see from this passage in Exodus? Seeing God's great power and trusting him means deliverance and destruction. It means deliverance and destruction. Bottom line, this passage describes the miraculous deliverance of God's people against all odds. It is a wonderful, glorious picture of salvation and redemption and deliverance. And this passage unavoidably and unequivocally describes the miraculous destruction, defeat, and annihilation of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. There's deliverance and there's destruction. There is no way around it. This whole story of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and God and Moses and his people is a story of standoff between the Lord, the living and true God, and the gods, lowercase gods, of the Egyptians. And God says over and over again as he displays his glory that he will receive the glory and the power. 
How do we see God's deliverance in this passage? A huge part of this story is the, the miraculous redemption and salvation of our God for his people through the Red Sea on dry land. And there are a couple things that we need to remember here. First of all, the Hebrew in which the Old Testament was written, the original Hebrew makes it plain that this was a bona fide miracle. It says that they went through on very dry land. On dry, dusty, cracked earth type of land. And that goes against the idea or the theory that the Israelites may have walked through a shallow part of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. Some say that they walked through this this shallow area kind of like Mobile Bay on the other side of the tunnel, you know where it's real shallow there when you're going across the bridge. That's not what happened. This was a bona fide miracle. They walked through the sea on dry land. It wasn't swampy land. It wasn't muddy land. It was dry land. And the Bible also says that the wind drove back the sea. It was a strong east wind. Now think about that. An east wind means it comes from the east. They were going from the west to the east. So all night long the waters were spread, but it started on the other side. So even as God's people were being delivered... They had to wait and wait and be patient to see the deliverance of their God. The passage also describes destruction. As the Egyptians' hearts were hardened, they rushed after God's people. The text tells us that in the morning, that's interesting, we'll come back to that, the Lord clogged their chariot wheels. You ever gotten a grocery cart that one of the wheels is stuck? And it's so annoying, you've got to go back. Can you imagine your chariot wheels getting stuck or being in in battle and and the, the treads of your tank breaking and you're a sitting duck? And these these chariots all became clogged up and there was panic and gridlock and terror. And as the people of Israel got across while the Egyptians were still in between these two walls of water... God tells Moses to put his staff back over the sea and the water comes down and it destroys the Egyptians. They were destroyed. Israelites saw them on the seashore dead. And this happened in the morning when the sun was coming up, when allegedly their sun god Ra would be rising in the skies to help them. God demonstrated his power and his destruction in defeating his enemies. Remember the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh abused, enslaved, and murdered God's people. And now they were being punished. They were being destroyed. This is still part of the Christian message. This is still part of the Christian worldview. That God is a loving father and a just judge. Those who trust in Him and humble themselves and submit themselves to God and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, we know it and we celebrate. He accepts and forgives and guides and protects and defends. And those who trust in themselves or worse, who hurt and abuse others, God will take them down. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Seeing God's great power and trusting in Him means remembering 
that he brings deliverance and destruction. And there's another place in the Bible where these two ideas meet. The ideas of justice and mercy, deliverance and destruction. It's something that didn't happen behind closed doors or in secret. It was very public. There are eyewitnesses. There are testimonies that we can read about to this day. We see, we look, our lives are transformed as we look back at what happened with Jesus Christ. There was deliverance and destruction in Him. Think about it. His birth was prophesied about. He was, people were waiting for the promised one. He entered the world in a miraculous way. God became man. And His life and His ministry were so absolutely unique. Folks said, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never heard anyone teach like this man teaches. He did miracles. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind. He healed the sick. He rose folks from the dead. All as validation to him being who he said he was. And him bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And then he set his face like a flint, like a sharp knife to go to Jerusalem to accomplish the mission for which he came To lay down his life, remember we heard last week, to lay down his life because he loves us. See, here's the thing. We've all failed. Every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we failed. We haven't lived up to God's righteous standard. We've hurt other people. We deserve this judgment and destruction. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus bore the wrath that our sins deserve on the cross. He took the punishment that we deserve. He lived a life that we haven't lived. Did you know that your story can change from being one of judgment and regret and shame and destruction? It can change to one of peace and joy and forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life, all because of Jesus Christ. All because at that point in time in history, destruction and deliverance met in one place and in one person. When we say that the mission of our church, the aim of our church as a people is is centered around Jesus Christ, we're not just saying that. It's not a joke. Without Christ, we have nothing. He's our Lord and our master and our hero our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend. And that first-hand eyewitness testimony of folks from the first century is still powerful and appealing to them today. So if you're here this morning and you have questions about the authenticity or the validity of the Christian message, or you have neighbors or friends that you'd like to share the gospel with, one of the things that you can do is challenge and encourage them or maybe sit down with them and read the Gospels. Those first four books in the New Testament. And challenge and encourage them to see for themselves and maybe, like millions of people throughout history, their lives will be changed and they'll be convinced that Jesus Christ is the real deal. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah There's hope and life in Him. As believers, many of us in this room are Christians. We we need to remember and see that God has great power 
and we need to trust Him. It's easy for us to think that we have life figured out. It's easy for us to get a little experience or a little time under our belts and then say, yeah, we got this all figured out. Over Christmas, my family and I went to South Carolina and we spent some time with my sister and she has uh, some land and she has some horses and she has some toys. And uh, one of my sister's toys is an off-road Segway. That's right. She owns a Segway and it has knobby tires and you can take it through the woods and stuff. And so my kids were cruising around on it and then uh, if you know me, you know that I... I have to give this thing a try. And so after about 10 minutes, I was an expert and uh, very confident I've got this figured out, no sweat, until I hit a little bump in the horse pasture. And that segue threw me to the ground before I knew what happened. And uh, my brother-in-law saw it from far away and he said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Um, aren't there so many times in life where we just think we have it all figured out? We think we have all the answers. We got everything under control. We have a little success, a little experience, and we tend to think that we no longer need God's help or guidance. We need to constantly day by day, see, look, remember our daily need of God's help. God delivered his people through the Red Sea on dry land. God saved us and delivered us through Jesus Christ. That's just the beginning. We need him day in and day out. We need to look to Jesus Christ and live. Let's pray.